Good morning, church. It's good to see me in just a second. Also, it could be good to see you. If we can pull those lights up, that would be awesome today. Ah, there you are. Well, good to see you this morning. If you have your Bible, turn with me to Romans chapter 2 is where we're going to be hanging out uh, today. At the end of service, we're going to be taking uh, the Lord's Supper. You'll see baskets out there now. Um, we're changing things up just a little bit and how our deacons will be passing out the Lord's Supper again. Don't worry. If you got yours a little bit early, you're just advanced preparation going on. So that's all right when it comes by. Um, but it is good to be back together as we're walking through Romans um, for the next few weeks. And today we're talking about how Jesus, or how the Lord, Jesus, is the unmovable judge. And so that's what we're going to be looking at today in his picture of things. And we like moving things, right? In fact, we love taking things that someone else ought to have. Has anyone ever been walking out to your car and your grandkid or your child said, shotgun? Do you know what that meant? That meant a lot of people are going to run as fast as they can to the front of your car right? Someone's going to be halfway in the seat while someone else is pushing them out of it. Musical chairs was made for us, right? How, how many people can I take your seat? You know, the winner, you slide into those kinds of things. Or maybe some of you, let me ask, do some of you have your chair at home? Who has your chair? Yep. Yep. Some of you it's spoken, some of you it's embroidered. I get it, but it's in there. Do you remember the look on your child's face when they sit in your chair? It's this grin that like, I know I'm doing something wrong, but it's really fun. We, we love taking someone else's place. And, and sometimes we love doing this as, as spouses as well. Like if you ever really wanna get your spouse upset, if you get in bed first, first lay on their side and see what happens right if, if you if you get in it's it's you're not unmovable right guys especially let me tell you the friend but we we love taking someone else's seat and sitting in someone else's place and that's what Romans 2 really digs into it really starts off this idea that hey I know that you find a joy in sliding into someone else's seat but let me tell you, there's one seat that you will not have joy if you try to slide into it. And the Lord says, that's, that's mine. And in Romans chapter two, it starts off with this word that's almost just a, a, a gloss by word. It says, therefore, that's just that, that one word. What that word does is this transition verse that basically says what I'm talking about now is connected to what happened before. And in the picture of this, what, what we've been talking about last week was that, hey, God made himself obvious. He made himself plain and clear to everyone. And we talked about that journey of you and I rejecting God when, when slowly we stop to know him, then we knew him, then we don't even acknowledge him. And then what we know is no longer what's real. We just talked about that journey of sin. And, and a lot of that is focused on the Gentiles, those who were not Jews in this part. And we're gonna see this pushback, this tugging and pushing between Jews and Gentiles in the book of Romans, because God is gonna show in this big picture of Romans that he came for all of them. But at the end of chapter one, it was almost like the Holy Spirit can see uh, the minds of the Jews like getting a little bit boastful, a little bit prideful that, you know, we are not the Gentiles. We do not stand around affirming what they affirm. They, they, they're just proud that they are, are not them. 
because there was a, a pride in, in the Jewish people that they had been given the law, that they, they were God's chosen people. And there was a pride that was almost like because God has given us and we possess the law, then we're better than you. Whether we practice it or not is unimportant. It's just, I'm better than you because I have the law. And, and I was scribbling that down and, and then I thought, oh, I have to be careful, Christian, because how often and how easy is it for us to have the whole of God's word? We have more than the Jews had. We have the whole of God's word and, and we lean into biblical truths like once saved, always saved. This is absolutely true. But what we have to understand is just possession of the truth does not equal producing fruit. It doesn't equal life change. You can memorize the entire Bible and still spend eternity apart from Jesus Christ. I want you to know that possession of it is important but it is not salvific. It is not, doesn't make you and I greater than others. And so the Jews kind of have this kind of proud thing going on. And it's almost like the spirit of the living God knows all things, including everyone who reads it and says, listen, now that you know this drift that sin causes, what I want you to let you do is I want you to be very careful. And he, he writes verse one of chapter two. If you have your Bible, look on the screen. You can read along with me. This is what it says. Therefore, you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges, for in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself. It says, therefore, you have no excuse. Now, this is all of a sudden a different way. If you remember back to the beginning of last week's sermon, if you were to thumb in your Bible back to chapter one in Romans, it would say, we're without excuse because God's made himself plain through creation. Well, now he's saying to those who have my word, who possess the word, you really have no excuse. But you have no excuse, not only not to drift, but you have no excuse when you try to act as judge. And, and I would tell you this, I have, I've heard this word judge misconstrued and torn up and abused so many times. What I thought is before we get into the sermon a little bit, oh, I can zoom out here. Let's, let's, let's do that. Let's talk about this warning against judging and what it looks like. Because I think it's important to know what it is and what it's not. So what the warning is against, if you and I were looking right here, let's go here, is this, it's a warning against passing judgment. Okay, that's what the warning is against, right? That, that's what the Greek word means. It means like you acting like you are the final word and the final say in someone else's eternity and someone else's right relationship with God. In other words, it's you standing in the seat and saying, there's no reason to talk to anyone past me. There's no reason to talk to anyone behind me. By passing judgment, you're saying, I am the judge. Does that feel very dangerous to say when we slow it down? It should feel amazingly dangerous. Now the problem is this is what it's talking about. It, it, it's not talking about other types of making a judgment, right? What it's not saying is that Ephesians 4, 4.15 means nothing. That you are never to speak truth 
in love. That is, that is not what it's saying. It's not saying don't you ever speak the truth in love because someone could think you're judging them. The Bible doesn't say be careful that no one thinks you're judging them. That's not what it says. It says you be careful not to sit in my chair and pretend like your word is passing judgment on everyone else. It's not saying that 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 2 is wrong. Where 2 Timothy says, hey, you need to rebuke. And you need to correct others. And we do it with my word and we do it with respect. We speak the truth, the Bible says, to do it in love. I don't know the symbol for respect. But when we do these things, we still use God's word to make things of God clear. That's not passing judgment. It's not passing judgment when, when we say to someone, listen, you're making a poor decision because it conflicts with the faith that you, you stand in. This is what the word says. And we do that respectfully. It's not saying that James chapter five, verse 19 and 20 is wrong. James chapter five says, listen, when you help someone who's straying and wayward in sin, when you do something like that, you are leading them back to right standing with the Lord. See, I think we can find ourselves in a trap with saying, well, the Bible says not to judge. So therefore, who am I to tell you what's right or what's wrong? Who am I to tell you that's good for you or bad for you? Who am I? Well, A, you're just you. If you ever want to know the answer to that question, you're just you. You're not the judge. But what scripture is saying is, so don't pass judgment on people and say you're a lost cause. You're going to a Christless eternity and there's nothing you can do about it. It doesn't say you're, you have no reason, no, you can't even walk through our doors because your stench of sin is too great. God isn't asking you to be judge. In fact, let me tell you this. He doesn't not only, he doesn't not want your help. It's not welcome. But church, that is not the same as what biblical help is. When we help someone make a good judgment, when we use good judgment, when we use biblical judgment. See, when we use what God has given us in the way, respect, love, to help, for the glory of God, we're not acting as judge. We're telling people there is a judge and he is a good and a righteous judge, but he loves you. And so, so this is why this means what it means. Let me help you out. If you're a parent of a teenager or a child one day gonna be a teenager, maybe you're hoping they make it to teenager age. Let me help you out a little bit because Christy and I, we've had so many people in our lives what we've walked through this journey with. I always feel like I'm the worst sinner of any room I ever walk into because I know my sin. Does that make sense? Are you following me? So my children have tried to repeat some of the things that were not God honoring in their life when they were teenagers. And we know many people in our lives that have wrestled with this. Well, I did that, so who am I to judge? Well, let me pause. It's, it's not about who are you to judge, mom and dad. If you know 
that sin tastes like a, a mouthful of, of spiritual manure, then who are you to say, God has given you the position to help your children not have to eat from that same plate? That's not judging, that's loving. And so in the middle of all of those things, you, you and I aren't judging when we're helping return someone to the Lord. We're not judging when we, with respect, with respect, correct and rebuke them. We aren't judging when you and I speak the truth in love. That is not what God is talking about here. It's not what God is talking about in Matthew chapter five, right? In, in Matthew chapter five, Jesus gives this picture and he says, like, don't judge for you'll be judged, you'll be judged. And the same measure that you use to judge, that's what you'll be judged with. Now, right there should make us all stop before we go any further. Because what that says is, is how I judge people is the measure I'm gonna be used to be judged with. Do you know what measuring stick I wanna be judged with? One that is loving, one that is helpful, one that is kind, one that is generous, one that is respectful, Amen right? Turn on any news station. That is not how to judge people because I don't want someone putting me on any of these channels. So what the Lord says, Jesus says is judge people know that with that same measure with grace and grace. But then he, he says, he doesn't say don't help someone who's sinning. It just says before you go around telling everybody how bad they are with their life, why don't you just make sure that you're right with God and then you'll see clearly to help them and therefore you won't be judging them like a jerk for Jesus, amen? Do you see the difference? We'll have t-shirts next week. <laughs> but, but I don't want us to go back past this without understanding what the spirit is inspiring Paul to say because the word judge is misused by the world and it is abused by people who follow Christ but choose not to bear the fruit in their action. You follow me? Are we good? All right, that's not the sermon. That's just the intro. All right. So, so God is a judge and the cheat sheet's up there. He is good and he is true and that's the kind of judge he is. And that's what we're talking about in our relationship. And what verses two all the way through 11 is, it just really unpacks this so that we can understand what kind of God we serve and what we have in our relationship with him. And as we do that, that will prepare us then for the Lord's Supper as we get rolling into things. First of all, look in your Bible at verse two, and then I want you to go down to verse six. Because what, what these two verses in two parts of scripture, they tell us a little bit something about how God is true. Verse two, we know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. That's verse two. Now go down to verse six. He will render to each one according to his works. So I want you to know in both of those things, we see in verse, excuse me, that's a V, I promise. In verse two, and we also see in verse six that God rightly passes down. He's not too hard. He's not so angry. He's not, you know, punishment fit the crime. He's just, what he is, is he rightly passes down judgment. And this is what it says is, you deserve it. If God gives it to you, you deserve it. That's what verse two means. Verse six says is he renders it according to what 
your deeds were. In other words, God is going to give a judgment in accordance with what you've done. We see this all the way through scripture from the Old Testament to the New Testament. We see it even looking into eternity, right? That God, when he gives a judgment, it is the right judgment for the right person because God is true but he's not just true he's also good and that's really what verse 3 through 5 really focus on right verse 3 through 5 focus on God's goodness we'll go to the end as we tear this out just because I know you're you're dying to to know Uh, verses 7 through 10 talk about how he's a judge so this is all we're going to talk about today how God is true when God's truth and his goodness, how they equal the kind of judge he is. That way, when you leave here, you won't have to wonder. You won't have to wonder where you stand or what it looks like or what God wants from you. You won't have to wonder where he sits and what you've been doing in your life. It's just very plain and very clear. Look with me in verse three in your Bible. We'll go all the way down to verse five. This is what it says. Do you suppose, O man, you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourself that you will escape the judgment of God or do you presume upon the riches of his kindness and the forbearance and patience not knowing that the kindness God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance but because your heart your hard and in excuse me impenitent heart you are storing up wrath for yourselves on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. We're just gonna talk about this side in verse three through five because what what I wanted to ask is, how do you see God's goodness? Because that's really the the crooks, the tipping point of this whole thing. If, if you want to know how you interact with the righteous judge who's immovable, it, it, it really comes down very simply is how do you see him? Do you see him as movable or do you see him as not? And how you might best understand that is turning that mirror around and facing yourself and saying, do I see myself as unmovable or do I see myself as movable? So, What biblically we would say is this would be the proud and the humbled in spirit. See, what scripture says in in verse three is, do you suppose, oh man, that that those, you who judge those who practice such things that do themselves will escape the judgment of God? Now verse four, or do you presume upon the riches and his kindness and his forbearance and his patience? Now check this out. This is the picture. What the Bible says is this, is that God in his goodness, he, he forbearance, he gives you kindness, he is patience. Like God in all of this gives it abundantly, like enriches to us. And, and it's to everyone, whether you are proud or humble, God has made himself available to you and I. And he does it not just in a little trickle here or there that God's kind of good to you, but he's really good to her. God's kind of good to that person, but they're fantastic that, or you're thankful that you're not that person because you're living the good life and they're living the bad life. What, what scripture says is that God gives in riches of his kindness 
which is the same word for goodness. It gives in abundance his forbearance and his patience. And I just wanna unpack those two words. Here's what that means. God lavishes his goodness on you and me. And he does it by holding back from judging you every second and every moment of your life and letting you taste the consequences of that weight every time we sin. That's what forbearance means. It means I'm holding back. And scripture talks that God is patient with us. What what, what patient means is that he is long-suffering. So here's the biblical picture of God's goodness. He wants all of creation to have such access to his goodness, such abundant access that he withholds what you should already have been crushed by, what I should already have been crushed by. He holds it back and he suffers, so to speak. He keeps looking on a world of sin. He keeps looking on the failings and the unrighteousness of his people. Have you ever thought about how God deals with our sin? Scripture says he's long-suffering. When you sin as a believer, Jesus Christ, or anyone in the world, God's not saying, ah, doesn't bother me a bit. Have a good day. I'm turning the channel to watch someone else's life. What Scripture says is in God's riches and his goodness to make sure you and I have access to his goodness without excuse that he withholds his judgment for you and me and he does it patiently bearing that burden himself. Now, what do we do with such riches? Well, the Bible says this, verse four, do you presume upon the riches of God? Now, this is it. These are glasses if you don't know. Presume means to look down. That's what it means. In other words, if you presume upon the riches of God, what you're saying is, God, you are so good. You've given me all the time. I can do what I want, when I want, how I want. In my pride, what you're really saying is, God, I don't need to respond to you at every moment because I know I still have time left. What you're saying when you look down on God is, well, God, since you haven't done anything yet, I'll take care of it. When you and I utilize the riches, the vast amount of God's goodness that he is patient and forbearing with us about to serve ourselves, that's presuming on God's kindness. When we turn a gift of grace into a tool that gives us any kind of authority or power, anything that is now in our hands, that's presuming on the riches of God. How do we know that? Because what's meant to happen is from God's riches, there should be some kind of response. And what scripture says is the kindness of Jesus Christ, the kindness of God is meant to lead us to what? Repentance. Now, here's the word, what the word repentance means. It means to change your mindset about. Now, now let's put that all together. If repentance means to change your mindset about, presuming means I'm holding to my mindset about. 
You follow that? So when you and I encounter God's goodness, I'm not talking about your friend, John, down the street. I'm not talking about your next door neighbor. I'm just talking about me and you. When you and I see God's goodness and kindness coming in our way and we just keep on doing what we keep on doing, whether it's uh, high or low, whatever it means, that's presuming on God's kindness. It's looking down on the creator of the universe saying, hey, I appreciate that little extra throw out here. I'll come back to you later on. I always have time to get it right. But the kindness of God is meant to you, move you and I away from a mindset focused on us to a place of humility with our eyes on him. Is that how God's kindness impacts you and me? I mean, do you find yourself just once again, one trip after another, and I'll get it right next time, or I hate it when I do that, but, but I'll make it right eventually, or this is God's given me the door, I'm gonna run through it and do whatever I can with it. Are you presuming on God's kindness? Or are you responding to it? Because right here, you can know how will a good and true judge deal with my life? by just saying, Lord, is my mind set on you or do I just check in with you from time to time? Look at what the Bible says. It goes a little bit further as, as God goes through all of these things, this humility that comes out. The Bible says in verse seven, to those who by patience in wealth doing, seeking for glory, honor, uh, excuse me, and seek for glory and honor, immortality, he will give eternal life. But those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. There will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil. Jew first and also the Greek, but glory and honor to everyone who does good to the Jew first and also the Greek. The Lord doesn't mince words about it. I love that he uses Jew first and Jew Greek here simultaneously as he's used it kind of through other places in scripture. He made himself available to you first. He's gonna make himself available to be your judge first. That's one of those like first shall be last, right? We, we, we find him saying to you first Jew and then to the Gentile, not excluding, I'll make it available. But the question here is how do you see his goodness over here it really is how, well, say this, how you will see his goodness. See, one side, you kind of have a role to play, but on the other side, you do not. Because over here, it's already determined because the judge is rendering his verdict. And what scripture really walks into is this, is if you and I are humbled in our life before the Lord and we return to God, then we have hope. I love Zephaniah. What the Bible says in Zephaniah chapter two, verse three is seek the Lord, all you humble of the land and, and excuse me, who do his just commands, seek righteousness, seek humility. Perhaps you may be hidden on the day of the Lord. That's the Old Testament prophet saying, if you see and hear the word of God, be humble before him and perhaps his grace will extend. But what Christ even says, being the realization of that is, if you and I are humble before God, then you need to understand he will exalt you. He will lift you up. That's really what verse seven and verse 10 says, is that if you and I stand with God, if we are humbled, that he will lift us up and exalt us 
to be with him, not to be him. Psalm 37, four, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Psalm 22, four, the reward of humility and the fear of the Lord are riches and honor and life. He is lifting you up. James chapter four, verse 10, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. Church, it's not about being a rocket science. It's not about being perfect. It's not being a, a, a superhero good enough to be saved. God knows that only because of his kindness do you and I have a chance to respond to a right God in a way that could somehow only drenched in his son's blood, give him glory. But he gives us that opportunity. And in the midst of that, he says, if this is where you are, then I will exalt you. I will lift you up. And he's very articulate. He says, listen, but for those, excuse me, who by patience and well-doing seek glory for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. Verse 10, he will give honor and peace to everyone who does good. What is doing good? It's responding to goodness in the good way. It's not general goodness. It's responding to a good God in his riches in a way that is deserving. And the only way that happens is humility. There's a story in the Old Testament about God's people who were chosen and possessed all they needed. But they chose to look down upon God's goodness, some of them for themselves. In Exodus chapter 16, the people of God have been fed by the manna in the desert. And God said this, just go collect enough for the day. Every day, collect enough for the day. Uh, on, on the day before the Sabbath, get a double day's portion. It'll act a little differently. But every day, go collect enough for yourself, eat it and you'll always have enough. I will provide for you, I'll take care of you. But do not keep it overnight. Well, there were some in the camp of Israel who looked down upon God's goodness and they collected more than a day's worth. So instead of trusting God's word, they wanted to take advantage of it for themselves. And the Bible says the next day they woke up to a house that smelled like rot and that was filled with worms. That's judgment. And what scripture says for you or I or anyone else, I have given you no ex without excuse, the abundance of my riches. And so you who think you are proud, I will humble you. And church, there's a large difference between being humbled before the Lord and humbling yourself before the Lord. It paints scripture what scripture says in, in, in scripture says in, in Revelation and in Philippians that we will all at all creation bow our knees before the Lord. Philippians says every tongue will confess he is Lord. There's not a question about whether you and I and everyone in creation will be humbled one day before God. The real question is, will it be done on the day of judgment or will it be done under the banner of his kindness? Those are the choices. But humility will fall upon every single man, woman, boy, and girl. And what the Lord says through Paul is this. If you look at verse 11, he makes this circle and he says, you're all included. I show no partiality. Church, when we look into God's word, 
One, you and I have no reason to try to be a judge. But even more so, we have important, better things to be concerned with. How good is God being to you in your life? What has God shown you in your daily walk? Have you told God, I know this is what you've told me to do, but I I, I know your word says to lead my home this way, but I, I know this is not the right thing to do, but I'm up to here. I know you tell me I'm worthwhile, but don't presume upon the kindness of God. Respond to it. If God says you have value, then you have value. There are no buts. If God calls you to love your wife like Christ loves the church, have you seen how the church loves the Lord Jesus Christ? In the Old Testament, his people, he calls them a harlot. When you make decisions at work in your own life, are you presuming upon God's kindness or are you responding to it? As we get ready to take the Lord's Supper today, this is really the perfect place to prepare because the Bible says, don't take the Lord's Supper in a way that's unworthy. Don't presume upon his kindness. What, what that unworthiness means is, Lord, I wanna be good with you. I want, I want to respond to your goodness in a way that you see as good. So before we take the Lord's Supper, and we'll give instructions on, on how that's gonna work. For just a moment, I wanna bow and pray and we're gonna have a time of response and preparedness. Because when we take the Lord's Supper together, it's to bring him glory and honor. There's no buts about it. But if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, that's where we start. Because right now you are experiencing God's kindness. You are drawing breath. And he has more in store for you. Let's pray together. Father God, we love you. Lord, we thank you for the day that you've given us. Lord, we look into passages like Romans chapter two. And Lord, I feel like I'm with the the apostles when they're saying, Lord, who can get into heaven if it's that hard? Lord, they were confessing their sinfulness. They were confessing that they presumed upon your goodness way too much. They confessed that they've fallen short, that they've stumbled in their life. And your response to them is perfect. It's impossible for man. On your own, it cannot be done. But with me, God, all things are possible. So Lord, today I know we have presumed upon your goodness. I know I I feel like I'm the worst offender, but Lord, let my feet not be planted, but let them move. 
And God, if there's a man or woman, boy or girl who feels like there's just too much quicksand around their ankles, there's just too many, you know, bones buried in the grave they stand on. Would you let them know until your riches and your goodness is called into account, it is never too late. We love you, Jesus, in your name. Amen.